This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown, Ole Miss! This is College Football Game Day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. The stage is set. Number three, Michigan. Number two, Ohio State. Rivalry weekend is here. Rockin' Rich Sermonello. I am chomping at the bit. The game is alive and well with national title implications on the line later today in Columbus. You should be chomping at the bit. I think we all are. This is bigger than just the rivalry, Buckeyes and Wolverines, as we know. This is essentially a playoff quarterfinal game to see who moves forward into the final four. Ohio State, obviously, if they win, still needs Penn State to lose. But if Michigan wins, they move on to next week's Big Ten title game. So rivalry week, you and I will probably duke it out a little bit later in our picks. That'll be our personal (laughs) rivalry, but some great games on the field as well. As the great boxing referee Mills Lane used to say, any questions over here? Any questions over here? Let's get it on, Rich. I am I am alive and well today, baby. And I love that you're dropping the Mills. I was going to drop Mills Lane a few weeks ago when you and I were duking it out during our picks. I love that you're bringing Mills Lane up. Oh, love Mills Lane back in the day. That's what made boxing. But that's for that's for later in the year as we talk about other sport topics, Rich. But we have a great show planned for you today, 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to be joined at 10.15 by former Ohio State quarterback Greg Fry. He's at the game in Columbus. We'll get Greg's take about what the Buckeyes have to do to pull off the victory against the Wolverines at 11 o'clock Eastern time. Corey Allen, our SEC insider, is in Athens for that Georgia Tech-Georgia rivalry game. We'll get Corey's take on what the Bulldogs have to do to pick up that victory for Kirby Smart and Jacob Eason. And then at 11.15 Eastern time, I wouldn't let you go without a Michigan Wolverine. We're going to be joined by former Michigan running back and Super Bowl champion with the New York Giants, Gerard Bunch will get his take about what Jabril Peppers, Jim Harbaugh, Wilton Spate, or John O'Corn have to do on the road in the horseshoe today to get the victory against the second-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes. We're just getting started. I mean, you look at some of the games on Thursday night. We do have breaking news that I want to get to. LSU on Thursday night with a dominating road victory in College Station, 59-34, to Darius Guys, they're running back with a school record, 285 rushing yards, breaks Leonard Fournette's record of 284 that he set earlier in the year, later uh, against earlier in the year against Ole Miss, 284 yards. And then you look at that dominating road victory yesterday by Washington, 45 to 17 over uh, the Washington State Cougars. Chris Peterson's crew built a 35 to 10 lead. They held on to win 45 to 17. 
2017. They move on now to the Pac-12 uh, championship. We'll have to see who they face today with some marquee battles in the conference. And then two solid victories, one by Iowa, 40-10 to at home over Nebraska. That solidifies Wisconsin's bid to win the division. They move on to the Big Ten championship game, but they have their sights set on possibly a playoff appearance later today should they win against Minnesota. And then a marquee victory by Dave Doring, Rich. NC State picked up a solid 28-21 to victory over North Carolina. They become bowl eligible. That was a gutty road win. But before we talk about that, I do have breaking news. There is a 12 o'clock press conference set for LSU where they will be naming their new head coach. Sources tell me that it will be, in fact, Ed Ogeron, that, in fact, Tom Herman is moving to Texas. We shall see. Texas does have a 12 o'clock press conference as well, so we'll see how that plays out a little bit later. But, Rich, very impressed with Chris Peterson's crew on the road yesterday in Pullman. Yeah, as was I. I mean, this was a complete domination in a rivalry game on the road, as you mentioned, Joe. And for for anyone that's concerned that Washington might take the back door into the playoff, that's not going to happen. You had the impressive win over Arizona State. Yes, Arizona State's 5-7 and seven and struggling. But Friday against Washington State in a game that could have been competitive Jake Brown was dealing all day. The defense was outstanding, picking off Luke Falk three times. Excellent on special teams once again. So now it comes down to that Pac-12 title game. I think if they beat the, the South champ, whoever that might be, Colorado or USC, I think they have to get into the playoff. Might be a four seed, but I think it has to be Washington in the playoff, which is a phenomenal year for Peterson. Yeah, I agree with you. The one thing that really stood out for me yesterday wasn't just the uh, consistency on offense with Jake Browning and Miles Gaskin, the way they were able to move the football on Washington State's defense. I was very impressed with that defense led by Buda Baker that forced Luke Falk and that offense to methodically work down the field. They gave up some big plays in the middle of the field, but in the red zone, they really clamped down and they shut down Washington State at critical junctures when they were trying to get back into that ball game. They were down 35-17. to They had a fourth and goal on the one-yard line. They had an opportunity to cut that lead to 35-24 to at the end of the third quarter, and that was their second goal line stand that I was very impressed with the way the defense forced Washington State to work down the field, and that's a recipe that could really go on for Washington, especially in the playoff. Yeah, and, and, and folks have to keep in mind, too, I know there's attrition on every roster. It's that time of the year where everybody's banged up, everybody has lost players. But Washington, two of their best defensive players done for the year, linebacker Azeem Victor, uh, edge rusher Joe Mathis, best pass rusher. So they're down a couple of key players. Very important victory for Washington. Very impressed by the way uh, Chris Peterson has kept these kids focused throughout the year. They suffered the difficult loss against USC, who I still think is the best team in the Pac-12, though they may not get a chance to prove it. But they bounced back the past couple of weeks. And I think we could have a chance to see in the playoffs someone like Jake Brown and going up against that Alabama defense, uh, which would be an interesting... Interesting, uh, 
uh, interesting dichotomy of paces. Yeah, you look at Browning's performance yesterday, 21 of 29, 292 yards, three touchdowns, and it wasn't just running the football as well. John Ross broke out for big plays across the middle. He stretched that Washington State secondary as well. So they are a dangerous team, and Chris Peterson, a very underrated head coach, doing great things in Seattle with the Washington Huskies, and we'll see how it plays out with these two marquee Pac-12 battles. I mean, Notre Dame plays USC. It's an under-the-radar, but it does have implications should Utah knock off Colorado because then uh, USC would be, if they win against Notre Mm -hmm. Dame, would be the representative, and we would have a Washington-USC rematch. That could be a very intriguing game uh, because if you're Washington, you want to avenge that loss Mm -hmm. that you had in Seattle, but this is one of the hottest teams in the nation led by uh, a freshman quarterback, Sam Darnold. Yeah, win or lose. I mean, obviously, uh, USC could lose that game to Notre Dame. If Colorado loses, it's the it's the Trojans that'll be in the Pac-12 uh, championship game. And I think that's exactly what Washington would want for what you said, Joe. They want to avenge that loss. They want to approve uh, in Santa Clara on a neutral field that they could beat USC. It would be a great matchup, and it would also be an important matchup for Jake Browning's Heisman bid. I don't think he's going to win it, but he certainly wants to get to New York City if he can prove against the U- I mean, listen, Clancy Pendergast has done a phenomenal job with the USC defense. Very young, littered with sophomores. I think Browning wants another shot after he played so poorly a couple of weeks ago. That's a great point, and we shall see how those games break down a little bit later. Utah and Colorado was a 7.30 start. Notre Dame and USC a 3.30 start. Rich and I will break both of those games down a little bit later in the show. Rich, one thing, one game that stands out for me today, I mean, we have so many rivalry games, but the one game I'm looking forward to is Minnesota on the road in Camp Randall, just a blue-collar team in Minnesota playing the Badgers because that has huge implications as well. Does a game for you outside the the, 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 the game, Ohio State and Michigan, stand out for you that you're looking forward to watch today? Well, I, I I like the rivalry between South Carolina and Clemson. I, I think Clemson wins that game, but I'm curious to see what Will Muschamp has up his sleeve. Jake Bentley, the young quarterback against that veteran Clemson defense. Clemson has to win that game in order to keep their playoff hopes alive. So I like rivalries in general. That one is under the radar. I'm looking forward to it this evening. Rich and I are just getting started. When we come back, we'll be joined by former Ohio State quarterback Greg Fry. We'll get Greg's take on this big game, marquee battle in the horseshoe. Ohio State and Michigan doesn't get better than this. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live from the Big Apple Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. We're coming right back. Back on College Football Game Day right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from Rockin' Riley's Bar on 35th and 8th in the Renaissance Hotel. Rich, a couple of Big Ten games at 12 o'clock, not of significant importance, but Illinois on the road in Ryan Field to face Northwestern. You look at this matchup overall, I mean, North, Northwestern, uh, a solid team, but has been inconsistent down the stretch. You look at Illinois coming off a, a, a shutout loss to Iowa, 28 to nothing. Northwestern needs this game to become bowl eligible. I think Pat Fitzgerald and the boys get it done today. I think they dominate Illinois, win this ball game by about 20 to 24 points. 
I couldn't agree more. Not uh, impressed by what Lovey Smith has done at Illinois, Joe. Plus, you mentioned the key factor here, which is really one of the interesting storylines in Week 12, Week 13, when we get to this stage of the season. What teams which were not competing for a a conference championship have an opportunity to become bowl eligible? Northwestern is a great example. Pat wants to spend more time coaching his kids in December. Northwestern is still a team that covets those bowl invitations, I think they'll show that today and roll over the Illini. And you look at statistics. Illinois has a mediocre offense, only averaging 19 points per game. They're passing for 156 through the air, only rushing for 148 on the ground. Northwestern averaging 24 points per game. They're averaging about 390 total yards per game, 259 through the air, 133 on the ground. Illinois giving up 31 points per game. Northwestern much uh, more solid, in, especially in run support. They're only giving up 22 points per game and only 143 yards to opposing offenses. Rich and I both like Northwestern a little bit later today. Another intriguing battle, it's Indiana coming off a very disappointing loss to Michigan. They pu- pushed the Wolverines to the limit. Couldn't get that victory in Ann Arbor against an abysmal, I- I'm admitting it now, an abysmal <laughs> Purdue team with quarterback David Blau. Turnover prone, and even though they're high octane at times, they're very inconsistent. But I like them to cover this big number today in Bloomington. Well, listen, I've been impressed. Forget the record. I've been impressed with what Kevin Wilson has done in Bloomington. Again, this is another example, just like we mentioned with Northwestern. Getting to a bowl game is huge for Indiana. It's a rivalry game, old oak and bucket. I would expect to see the best from the Hoosiers, which have played better than that 5-6 and record this year. Yeah, Rich and I will come back. We'll break that game down a little bit later in detail. Indiana 5-6 and overall. Purdue is 3-8. and You look at Purdue averaging 24 points per game, Indiana 25 points per game. We'll take a quick break. When Rich and I come back, we'll break down the ACC and SEC. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. The stage is set. Number three, Michigan. Number two, Ohio State. What better way to break this game down than with a former player in this rivalry game? He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. I want to welcome in former Ohio State quarterback Greg Fry. Greg, how are you today? I'm great, Joe. I'm great. I'm on campus, uh, just a few feet in the stadium, getting ready to go. Greg, before we get into the X's and O's, you're you're a, a man who's played in this series from 1987 to 1990. Tell the fans what this game represents, not only from a Buckeyes perspective, but just as a college football fan in general. Well, it's the rivalry is uh, it is what it is. It's it's a tremendous rivalry and. Um, you know, with all the games I've played in, in my life, there's nothing, nothing that even came close to the energy that came with this week and playing in this game. And, uh, and I was very fortunate to play in this uh, times five times. And my freshman year was actually when Jim Harbaugh made the prediction that they were going to beat the Buckeyes. He guaranteed it. And we missed the field goal in the, the last minute of the game, and they won the game. And then uh, in 87, um, we beat Michigan at Michigan. It was Earl Bruce's last game. He was fired on Monday. You know, those are my first two years. It just got better after that. So it's just, uh, it's been an intense rivalry and that has not changed in the years. 
Greg, Rich Sermonello, uh, you know, you, you look at the Michigan defense, just uh, dominant all season long. What do the Buckeyes need to do to pop off an occasional big play, have those conversions that really make a difference in what should be a close game? Yeah, Rich, you know, I think one of my concerns is, is Michigan's defensive line. They've been solid all year long. And offensive line, probably, I say it is, is, I would say they're good, they're not great. Uh, so my concern is if Michigan's getting pressure and stopping the Ohio State run game. Um, so, you know, like any big game, what, what happens up front is going to be critical. And I think for Ohio State, they've been excellent all year converting on third downs. And to me, it's, you know, success on first and second down are really what leads to conversions on third downs. Greg, you, you mentioned third downs. I mean, Ohio State is converting 51% on third downs. They're going up against Michigan's defense, which is one of the tops in, in the FBS, only allowing 21% on third down conversions. What does JT Barrett have to do to get this team into, into short situations? Because he struggled last week, especially on third down, and you saw what the offensive line did breaking down at key junctures because Michigan State last week only had seven sacks entering that battle. They got to J.T. Barrett three times in that game in East Lansing. So what does J.T. Barrett have to do to keep this Michigan defense off balance today? Well, Joe, i got to tell you this. You know, you, you got to throw out last week. My son is with me right now. We were at that game. The, the conditions were atrocious. So the, the game plan from a passing standpoint was tossed out the window last week. And I look at the positive. The fact that you know, J.T. ran for 100 yards against the Michigan State defense that knew it was coming is pretty darn impressive. Uh, prior to that, the offense for the Buckeyes have been really gelling uh, as far as their, their vertical passing game has improved. They've been mixing the ball, running pass. You know, the wind is not going to be a factor today for the most part. So, you know, they're going to be into their full offense, and they're going to be healthy, uh, which is going to be big because they're getting Dontre Wilson back. He didn't play last week. That was a factor in that game. So I think, you know, having uh, the receiving core at, at full speed, ultimately this game, to me, when you look at big games like this, you got to look at the quarterback play. J.T. Barrett's speed are a factor, and I don't think it's any surprise to anybody. But in the last few years against Michigan, he scored on the ground using his feet, some by design, some not by design. And I think ultimately, as good as that Michigan defense is, J.T. Barrett's feet can be the difference in this game. Talk, uh, Greg, if you can, a little bit about Curtis Samuel. I, you know, Jabril Peppers uh, justifiably gets a lot of attention as a versatile athlete. Curtis Samuel is Ohio State's versatile athlete. How might he figure into the game plan this afternoon? Well, they're surely going to get him his touches. You know, I think uh, 10, 12 touches at a minimum. You know, so it's, it's, it's how creative can they be, you know, and not be predictable giving him the football. Uh, but, again, I go back to, have, you know, having Dontre Wilson back, I think, is a factor because they've got to pay attention to Dontre. If you don't, uh, he can hurt you as well. And, that, and that, those collections with you guys uh, making plays, you know, amongst everybody else is big. But, you know, Curtis Ames is a playmaker, and um, – in games like this, your playmaker's got to step up and make big plays, and uh, I'm sure the Buckeyes are going to be looking to do that. And it, you know, on the flip side, your Bull Peppers, I mean, Buckeyes, no, he's their playmaker. You know, they got to stop him. So it's that chess match of, of can you get your, your guy enough touches, can they make the big plays uh, when your team needs it? Greg, when I look at Ohio State overall, the one thing I feel that they do better than anybody is they're mentally prepared by their head coach, Urban Meyer, for these type of games. Whenever people seem to count them out or whenever people seem to think they're the underdog, they step up. Now they're the favorite, but they expect to win. They've won four of the last five by 12 points per game. It's a mindset that Urban Meyer's instilled there. Uh, what can you say about that? Because I know you're very close 
to that program and you understand the training regimen that they go through, speak a little bit about that. Well, he believes in leadership and he believes in the, in the mental uh, side of training. I mean, he was a psychology major uh, in college, so he gets that. And he is, he is as good as anybody at mentally preparing a team for a game like this. And, you know, it's not about expectations. They don't worry about outside expectations. They focus on what they need to do. And I see this team playing hungry. They've been hungry all year. They're a young football team for the most part. And he, he does a great job of making sure they're prepared to take care of their own business. Um, you know, I've re- referenced before in your show, um, Tim Kite, who's been their leadership expert that's been involved for the last two years, has, has been a factor. So that's something you don't see uh, on the field, but it shows up in the results. You know, so if the, if the game gets tight late, these guys, you know, they play, they play free. They don't play uh, conservative. Um, they, they understand they've got to make plays. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the unseen advantage, I think, that the Buckeyes bring to the table. And that takes nothing away from, from Jim, Jim Harbaugh and his staff because they do a fabulous job as well. Greg, you mentioned Jim. I, I, that's where I was going next. Owen two versus Urban Meyer, phenomenal job, obviously in Ann Arbor over the past couple of seasons. But any chance that he's tight, his players are tight, knowing the magnitude of this game and the fact that they haven't broken through against the Buckeyes the past two seasons. I don't think so. I don't see them as being tight. You know, he's a great football coach, and they've had, they've had a great year. They, they come in here with some confidence because they've been playing well. I think the problem is. You know, and, and I, refer, I take this around the quarterback situation. You know, he, he, we don't know what's up with Spate. We'll find that out here very soon. Uh, but the problem is you can hide that all week long, but between 12 o'clock and 3.30, you can't hide your quarterback situation. And, and they've, they've got an issue there. And, you know, whether they play a backup quarterback or, or banged up Spate, that's a problem. And as good as a, you can be as great a great coach, but when you're going up against a defense that's fast like the Buckeyes defense are, and they're, they're hungry and turnover hungry, that's a challenge, and, and I'm sure the Michigan's prepared for that, but we're going to find out here in the next couple hours you know, how Michigan handles that uh, from an offensive standpoint because uh, that is a big problem that they have to overcome today. Greg, I know you're at the game with the family. I want to thank you for coming on today. Great information as always. Enjoy the game. I'd ask you for a prediction, but I know where you're going, so uh, I, I, I know you love the Buckeyes in this matchup. I do. I mean, I think, you know, are there ways Michigan can win? Yeah, Michigan runs the football, controls the line of scrimmage. They've got excellent special teams. You know, they can, they can win this game. But I see the difference in this game is J.T. Barrett's feet and the Buckeyes secondary. They've been hungry all year. They've been opportunistic all year uh, with, with a number of pick sixes. I just, I just have a sense that that's the way this game's going to play, play out today. Greg, thank you for joining us today. As always, we hope you enjoyed it. Enjoy the game. Thank you, guys. Always, always great to be on. Appreciate it. That was former Ohio State quarterback, nicknamed, in my opinion, the comeback kid. Biggest comebacks in Buckeyes history, Greg Fry, giving us his insights. We'll come back. We'll break down this game and the others in the Big Ten. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network right here with College Football Game Day. When Rich and I left off, we were talking about Purdue and Indiana. Last year, Indiana got the victory 54-36 to in West Lafayette. But, Rich, 
The, the line on this game is 21 points. I know it's going up, and Purdue has multiple injuries, but I still like their ability to stretch Indiana's secondary. They, they're giving up uh, 27 points per game. I, I just think David Blau could have a big game, even though they've turned the ball over at critical junctures. They still have playmakers to be in this game from start to finish. Yeah, listen, rivalry games are difficult. I mean, if you're thinking about betting this game, it's always tricky. Indiana has the motivation. Indiana has the superior talent. Purdue has the interim coach. Obviously, they'll be looking to name a permanent replacement to Daryl Hazel in the next couple of weeks. I like Indiana's offensive talent, but I really like what they've done defensively, Joe. You look at Marcus Oliver to Grayscales, the linebackers, Rashad Fant, cornerback, all all Big Ten caliber type players, candidates when those teams are announced. So I, I think Indiana, Indiana needing this game to get to the postseason, I think they win. They win big, take the old Oaken bucket, and uh, head <laughs> off to the postseason. Yeah, and they have playmakers. Let's not deny that. They have Divine Redding. They have Ricky Jones Jr., and they've done this and put up 25 points per game without their big play wide receiver, Simi Cobbs, who's been gone for most mm-hmm. of the season. If he was in that lineup, teams wouldn't yeah. have double-teamed Ricky Jones Jr. as much, and you would have better productivity like they did last year. So uh, I-, I agree with you. I think Indiana clearly is the more consistent team and has the better defense. We'll see how it plays out. That I like Indiana to win the game. I just think Purdue keeps it close within the number. We'll see how that game plays out at 12 o'clock later today. Another, I want to say, intriguing game, but Kansas did knock off Texas last week, mm. and now they face their arch rival, Kansas State. Kansas hasn't beaten K-State, K Rich, since 2008. I mean, they're laying 27 points in Manhattan, but I'm taking the points here with the Jayhawks. I think they'll be emotional and into this ball game. I, you know, I, I think there's going to be a little bit, a little bit of a letdown factor, Joe. I mean, obviously Kansas is in the unfamiliar position of coming off of a Big Twelve win. Uh, win. You mentioned that against Texas. Kansas State playing very well offensively. We, you know, how much I like the defense in Manhattan. But Alex Barnes, a rookie running back, ran exceptionally well last week. I expect to see that again today. Watch for Alex Barnes to be the big hero of this game. I think Kansas State rolls. Jayhawks, a little bit of a letdown after beating Texas. We'll take a quick break. We'll come right back. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Rivalry weekend is here, and we did not forget about the marquee battle in Tuscaloosa today. Top-ranked Alabama faces Auburn. It's the Iron Bowl. Alabama's won four of the last five by 26 points per game. We're not sure who's going to get the start at quarterback for Auburn. Sean White banged up. He's questionable. Will it be John Franklin the third? Jeremy Johnson? We shall see. But, Rich, to me, I still think Alabama dominates this ballgame. I think this is a very difficult matchup for Auburn for the simple fact they have to try and get Alabama into a very low-scoring game because if it becomes a shootout, Auburn's in trouble, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I, I don't think it becomes a, a shootout, Joe. I, I do think this will be a low-scoring game because Auburn and their coordinator, Kevin Steele, they've done a terrific job defensively. They've started to finally maximize talent like Carl Lawson, Montrevious Adams on the front end. I think they're averaging about 14, slightly more than 14 points per game allowed. So I, I think they can contain that Alabama offense, but what I would expect to see is non-offensive scores out of Alabama, an occasional burst out of Jalen Hurts outside of the pocket. That's the one wild card. Alabama has the one player offensively that can stretch the field, make a big play that Auburn doesn't have. So I do think it'll be low scoring, but I see it somewhere in the neighborhood of about 28 to 10 Alabama. Yeah, I see a 41 to 20 type of game. I think Alabama runs away with this early. Uh, I think when you look at the formations that Lane Kiffin is used to using, especially in big ball games, we've seen it in the national championship game. We saw it against Texas A&M. We saw it in the fourth quarter against LSU. They just, they just wear on you and wear on you and wear on you and find the mismatch and then find that guy to get the, the football to. And I can tell you this, Garrett Dieter hasn't been a factor in, in at least six games now, the former Bowling Green wide receiver. I have a feeling that Lane Kiffin's going to mm. utilize him in multiple looks. He could be the guy when everybody's concentrating on our Darius Stewart, O.J. Howard, and Calvin Ridley. This is a kid that can step up. Here's the thing I look at when I look at Auburn overall. If John Franklin starts this game, they are in big, big time trouble because of his inconsistency in the passing game. You look at Auburn overall, they only have 11 passing touchdowns all year long. Nine of them have come by Sean White. You look at Jeremy Johnson and John Franklin, those guys combined two passing touchdowns and have only uh, attempted 40 passes on the year. So they better hope that Sean White starts. But again, he's not a mobile quarterback and won't put pressure on Alabama's defensive front seven the way Trevor Knight did with Texas A&M. So I think Auburn's one-dimensional in this matchup. Yeah, I listen, one-dimensional is rarely going to work in college football. It's never going to work against a Nick Saban defense. You know that. There's just too much talent, too much speed from front to back. You know, if you had Cameron Petway at 100% combined with Kerryon Johnson, maybe you can get some things done on the ground. But Alabama is so stout in the front seven. To your point, if you don't have that Chad Kelly-type quarterback, someone who could make plays downfield, maybe escape the pocket occasionally, stretch the defense in different directions, vertically and horizontally, you're just not going to have a chance. And unless Auburn can find a way on special teams or defensively to put points on the board... I struggle to see how they get beyond 10, 13, 14 points, and that's just not going to be enough. Now, I don't think Alabama, unless they have a spate of defensive touches, I don't think they score the 41 that you're suggesting against the Auburn defense. That's one area where you and I disagree. Yeah, you look at Auburn, they're very solid in run support, only giving up 117 rushing yards on the ground. They're very solid in the secondary, giving up 216 passing yards to opposing offenses. Both teams are plus three in turnover margin. Sacks could be an issue. Auburn has 25 sacks through 11 games. Here's what I look at when I look at also Alabama overall. Their ability to convert on third downs, especially in today's college football, when teams can't get off the field with tired defenses, up-tempo attacks, 
Alabama's converting 47% on third downs, and that could be an issue to really wear down that Auburn Tiger defensive front seven. Uh, Auburn's averaging 34 points per game, only giving up 14 points to opposing offenses. Alabama, 40 points per game, only giving up 11 points to opposing offenses. They have the number one ranked rush defense in college football, giving up 68 rushing yards per game and only 183 passing yards to opposing quarterbacks. We'll see how it plays out. A 3.30 today in Tuscaloosa. So do you like Alabama laying the points? Because I think they cover the number and, and I think it's high scoring. You're going low scoring with Auburn covering the number. What? Uh, give me the number. I twenty one. It's up to twenty one. Uh, yeah, you know what? Twenty one. I'll take the points. Yeah, because I have, I have, I have a twenty eight to ten. I'll take those points. Yeah. So, so that's actually it's around eighteen and a half, nineteen. You're right on the number there. You're you're okay. still leaning to Auburn. We'll see how that game plays out. Uh, Three thirty today. Here's the big one in Happy Valley. Uh, uh, dominating. Uh, Landscape in Happy Valley. I haven't seen Penn State going to be this excited for the since the last six or seven years, Rich. When you think about it, Michigan State goes on the road. They've won the last two by thirty-one points per game over Penn State. But Penn State looking to win the division and possibly crash. Can you believe it? The college no. football playoff. In December, we'll see how it plays out, but this is going to be a great battle in Happy Valley twelve at 3.30 later today. Yeah, and they'll obviously know or be about to know the outcome of that Ohio State-Michigan game, which weighs heavily in their plans for what happens next weekend. Uh, if Ohio State wins, Penn State can win the Big Ten East by beating Michigan State, but if Michigan wins then Penn State will be relegated to a, a different destination in December. And I, I just marvel at what James Franklin has done. The mere possibility, Joe, that someone other than Jim Harbaugh or Urban Meyer could be coaching a team in Indianapolis next Saturday <laughs> is staggering to me. It really is. I mean, not in a million years could I, could I have guessed that to be a possibility. I thought James Franklin was on the hot seat. <laughs> he was. And he has... He was. He and, was. And he has methodically turned things around with an improved defense. Saquon Barkley on the ground on offense. Trace McSorley has been a good game manager. And uh, he's got a shot. And that's going to be a tough game. I mean, Mark D'Antonio, this is going to be the Spartans' bowl game. Playing spoiler is going to be their bowl game this weekend. Yeah, here's the thing. When I, when, now, Michigan State dominated this matchup. If you didn't watch it with Hackenberg last year in the East Lansing, 55-16. to 16. And you're right about James Franklin. But what a difference eight games makes because after that victory against, uh, against um, excuse me, that loss against Pittsburgh, forty-two to thirty-nine, they were calling for his head after that rivalry loss. He reeled off a bunch of wins, and now you look at this ball game right now. If they somehow, some way, go to the uh, Big Ten championship game, I would sway to the fact that he has to be mentioned as one of the coaches of the year with P.J. Fleck, with Mike McIntyre for Colorado, with Nick Saban because of the turnaround. Here's the thing about Michigan State that scares me. Did they lay it all on the line last week in East Lansing? This this team overall, Rich, is still negative in turnover margin, minus four overall. They sacked JT Barrett three times last week, but through 11 games, only has 10 sacks. McSorley's a mobile quarterback, and I like the offense and defensive line play of Penn State. I really like Penn State here. I, I think Penn State is focused. I don't think they look at the scoreboard. I think they dominate Michigan State today, and I really think they cover this number. I think they win this game 17 to 20 points 
Saquon, Saquon Barkley, 1,205 yards, 14 touchdowns. He's been cleared to play in this game, went through concussion protocol, but I don't think it matters. I think Penn State dominates on both sides of the ball today and gets a clear-cut victory in Happy Valley. You're saying that Penn State will concuss Michigan State this afternoon. Yes, basically. concussed. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I, you know what? Listen, I, I love the psychology of sports. We've talked about it a lot on this show. I'm always intrigued, especially with young athletes, how they're going to react. How will they handle the situation? This is a momentous situation for those Penn State players. I don't think they even believe that they'd be uh, in this type of a scenario, but they have it in front of them. And especially if Ohio State wins at 12 o'clock, those Penn State players are going to know that you're playing for potentially a Big Ten East title. So I'll be curious to see how they handle that. Yeah, we'll come back and we'll break this game down a little bit more. Penn State rushing for 187 yards on the ground. Passing for 238 through the air. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from the Big Apple. When Rich and I last spoke, we were breaking down Kansas and Kansas State. Rich, I mean, I don't think anybody realized that Kansas would knock off Charlie Strong and the Texas Longhorns last week, a monumental breakthrough victory there, 2-9 and nine overall, Kansas State at 6-4. and four. I mean, K-State has owned the series. Like I mentioned, the last time Kansas beat K-State was in 2008. 52 to 21. Since then, it's been a run of Wildcat victories. But I like this team. I think they could put up some points on the Wildcats defense. I'm still not sold on Jesse Ertz and that offense that's only averaging uh, 371 total yards per game. I think the Jayhawks will be in this game from start to finish. You're going to take the points. Yeah. Big time. I'm going to take the points, too. Yeah, yeah so am I. <laughs> Actually, I, I am also. I I, I, uh, I have Kansas State winning at 35-13. to 13. Again, I'll mention Alex Barnes. He'll be your star of the day, the Kansas State running back. I expect to see him go north of 150 yards on the ground, possibly two or three touchdowns. He'll be someone to look for in 2017. But to your point, David Beatty in his second year has done a pretty good job at Kansas. I mean, we're not seeing the gains that people in Lawrence would like to see, but it's been incremental. They've been a little bit better, especially defensively. Dorrance Armstrong, a defensive end, someone to watch out for off the edge today. So if you're telling me to lay 25, 26, 27, I would say take those points. Yeah, I, I like Kansas's ability to stretch K-State's defense vertically. I mean, K-State K is allowing... 279 passing yards to opposing quarterbacks. Kansas can move the football through the air. They're averaging 235 yards per game. So I like that ability to keep them in a ball game. And they were able to play with Texas. Now, where's the emotional factor? Are they going to have a hangover in this mm -hmm. game? I don't think so because it's such a rivalry game that I expect the momentum to continue. So that's why I like the Jayhawks to keep this game close. I could see Kansas State winning, but I wouldn't be shocked if K-State loses this ball game overall because of their inability and inconsistency on offense with Jesse Ertz. Yeah, and listen, there is a rivalry factor, but Kansas State has already wrapped up their bowl eligibility, right? They're 6-4, and four, so there's a little less on the line in terms of the postseason. So I think it'll be competitive for a half. Kansas State pulls away. 
Uh, but again, I think if you're telling me 26, I would say take those points. Up to 27 now. When Rich and I come back, we'll break Definitely down some. Definitely take those points. Yeah. <laughs> when Rich and I come back, we'll break down some Big 12 and ACC games. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from the Big Apple. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, live from Rock and Riley's in the Big Apple, New York City. When Rich and I left off, we were talking about Michigan State and Penn State. And here's the other X factor that I look at why I like Penn State in a dominating win today. I love the progression of Trace McSorley in the passing game. His mobility is the reason why they've won as many games as they have in the conference. You look at the inability of the offensive line the last couple of years with Christian Hackenberg. McSorley's a mobile guy, and he's a confident quarterback entering this game, in my opinion, Rich. He's thrown 17 touchdowns, five interceptions, 2,600 yards. I think he could be the X factor on the ground today. Look for him to make plays with his feet to attack that Michigan State defense, especially if they're in man-to-man coverage later today. And especially if you don't have Malik McDowell, Michigan State's best defensive player who has been injured uh, throughout the month of November, you bring up a great point. You know, James Franklin inherited Christian Hackenberg. He was a sitting duck in the pocket. Penn State didn't have great offensive linemen, but it was exacerbated by the fact that Hackenberg was immobile. Now you have McSorley, who has the run-pass option. Not a not a Lamar Jackson-type sc- uh, scrambler, but somebody who could make plays with his feet, make people miss, get the ball on the move to, to Chris Godwin or Mike Gasicki, his tight end. And that has been a major difference in that Penn, St- uh, Penn State team. And it bodes well for Franklin going forward because now he'll be recruiting those types of players in 2017 and beyond. And two thoughts before we move on. The first is, you mentioned McDowell. He didn't play against Ohio State. And that's what amazes me is that as a unit, right? They had seven sacks entering that game against Ohio State. Their best defensive players out, all of a sudden they they step up, they have three sacks against JT Barrett. It's incredible. It really is. I mean, what a dominant defensive front they were supposed to have in 2016 with McDowell. He was a possible All-American. He's a number one draft pick. And this defensive front seven overall hasn't stepped up with consistency. And that's the one thing I look at. And the other thing is, James Franklin, from the time he got to Happy Valley, was hitting the ground running in terms of recruiting. He was out recruiting everybody. But we're starting to see that pay off in 2016 because that was the one MO about his style. He was out recruiting even Urban Meyer at Ohio State, from what I heard. And, and you're starting to see the residual effects of his hard work. Yeah, and and that's why he was hired in the first place, Joe, is the fact that he can go into New Jersey. He can stay in Pennsylvania. He can go to Ohio and get those three, four, five-star type players that Penn State is going to have to get, particularly here in the Northeast Territory. He's going to have to lock down those kids, places like Maryland, in order to compete with Ohio State and Michigan. He has the personality to go into living rooms and land those signatures, motivate young players, and this is a turning point season. This should have Penn State fans very excited about the future. Yeah, and they're 
averaging 187 rushing yards per game. That's the highest since James Franklin has been there. It's been the highest since about the last six years now. That's been the one MO. They've been in the area of about 143 rushing yards per game. Last year, they were in the area 138. The first year that James Franklin was there, they struggled. They only rushed for 108 yards per game. Now they're up at 187. That's exactly where he wants to be to give offense a balance. I think this is a high-scoring game, Rich. I think it's much more high-scoring than it was last week in East Lansing with Michigan State. I see Penn State winning this ballgame 44-20. to Penn State gets the victory over the Spartans later today. And listen, if they start to roll, obviously Michigan State I don't think is going to have much of an answer. They're not playing for anything at this point. You don't want to allow the Spartans to be in that game longer than they have to. So I agree. I think Penn State rolls. Quickly going to some coaching news, uh, Charlie Strong has officially been fired. So Texas's uh, head coaching search begins right about now. And I'm sure they already dotted the line and crossed the T's. Tom Herman is probably the new head coach at Texas, but we'll wait and see. I'll see if I can get an update on LSU if they, uh, they have a 12 o'clock press conference, but I'm still hearing Coach O will be the new head coach for the LSU Tigers. Let's stay in the Big Ten, another big battle, and I I feel strongly about this one. The Paul Bunyan Axe. Wisconsin's won the last five, Rich, by 17 points per game. Last two games been decided by 10 points apiece. I love Mitch Leidner and Rodney Smith in this ballgame. Tracy Clays, I'm calling for the outright victory. 24-20 to in Camp Randall. I'll get into why, but I want your quick thoughts about your, what, what I just said, because I really feel strongly. I love Minnesota here on the road in Madison. Well, I mean, pay attention, listeners, because uh, <laughs> Joe and I don't agree all the time. Uh, but I, I do agree that this is going to be a more competitive game than Vegas is suggesting. I do not see Wisconsin losing this game, but I see a margin of about 9 to 10 points, and, and I'll quickly tell you why. Forget about Leidner. Uh, forget about the running game. I, I, don't think, I don't think their offense is going to do anything against that Wisconsin defense. But what has surprised me this year has been the defense of Minnesota, so consistent consistent week after week. You have legitimate playmakers like Steve Richardson up front, Jonathan Celestin uh, at the second level. Really good defensive team. That's the one thing that people have missed on Minnesota this year. So I see it being competitive, low scoring, but Wisconsin wins. Yeah, I call 24-20, and to your point about Minnesota, a couple of statistics that stand out. Plus 11 in turnover margin, only giving up 116 rushing yards on the ground, and they have 33 sacks as a defensive front seven and I was very impressed the way they dominated Northwestern at home last week 29 to 12 they really brought it on both sides of the ball we'll come back we'll take uh, a more in-depth look about this ball game because it does have Big Ten uh, implications for the conference and possibly the playoff stay with us we're taking a quick break Joe Lisi Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network from the Big Apple keep it where it is. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, a couple of games of importance in the ACC and the SEC. It's Boston College and Wake Forest, Rich. Boston College needs to pick up this victory to become bowl eligible. 
I like the Eagles in this matchup. They struggled down the stretch, but I think they get this victory against a solid Wake Forest team. John Wolford comes back, but you look at Boston College, only giving up around 103 rushing yards per game, 35 sacks as a defensive unit. And I like Patrick Tolles. Both teams mimic each other, but I look at Wake coming off back-to-back losses against Louisville and Clemson, two of the best teams in the ACC. BC gets a gutty 17-13 to victory over Wake Forest 3 o'clock later today. Yeah, you put it very well, Joe. They do mimic one another, struggling on offense, uh, very good on defense. I like Wake Forest in this game just because I have more confidence in John Wolford. I like the fact that Wake Forest is home. Dave Clawson has had this team playing better all season. I, I think BC is going to be tight because they know the the impact on their coach, Steve Adazio. I don't know what the administration is thinking right now, but at 5-6, and six, if he gets to a bowl game, sneaks in at 6-6, six and six, becomes very difficult to get rid of Adazio, but at 5-7, and seven, another losing season, then you start thinking, I can, can we get Matt Rule up here? Can we get Greg Schiano out of Ohio State back into the Northeast to see if he can light a fire under Boston College? Can we get Neil Brown from Troy? He was someone who played football at UMass. I think you have to start to have those conversations, so a lot on the line today. What about P.J. Fleck to Boston College? I don't I th- think you can get him, though. I, th- I think he's got to be looking for a bigger program. I think Fleck is so hot right now that I, I think he's probably shooting for bigger than BC, bigger than Purdue. I think he can get one of the marquee Power 5 programs. Really? I, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if someone like Oregon was looking wow, at him. Wow, that's a great – well, we'll see how those coaching searches play out in the next couple of weeks. Let's stay in the SEC, the Egg Bowl. Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Ole Miss has won three of the last five, Rich. Uh, this is an intriguing one because they needed this victory to become bowl eligible. We'll come back. We'll talk about this. Ole Miss has won three of the last five by 14 points per game. But in my opinion, I think Miss State has the better quarterback in Nick Fitzgerald. We'll take it back. We'll come back. We'll break this game down. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. We're coming right back at you. This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown, Ole Miss! This is College Football Game Day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Our rivalry week coverage continues. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. If you want to talk college football with us, tweet us at go for the 2 that's the number 2, or at Rich Sermonello, that's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. We have a marquee battle taking place between the hedges, Georgia Tech and Georgia. Both teams are 7-4 and four overall, a classic rivalry game that Georgia's won four of the last five by 14 points per game. What better way to break this game down than with a former Bulldog that knows this series very well. He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. Want to welcome in former Georgia wide receiver and my good friend, Corey Allen. Corey, how are you today? Hey, Joe, I'm extremely excited today. This is really 
one of the best times of the year for anyone who's a big fan of college football, especially when you consider all of these rivalry matchups. And today, here in Athens, Georgia, is going to be no different. We've got the Yellow Jackets that have come from Atlanta, and they've made the trek between the hedges. And really, we want to try to embarrass them as much as possible. These rivalries uh, bear no fruit except the nasty type, and this is no different. Uh, Clean, old-fashioned hate is what has been labeled, and I couldn't think of a better term. Corey, I knew during the the Georgia season this year there were some ups and downs, and a lot of the fans were sort of uh, nervous about Kirby Smart's ability to really get this team under control, but he's done a fantastic job really weeding out the players that fit the scheme and don't fit his type of system. What's the mindset entering this ballgame overall from not only the fan base, but from the former Bulldogs that have seen uh, Kirby Smart really get the defensive side of the ball moving over the last couple of games? Well, the mindset is the first team to 200 is going to win. I believe that whoever can find a way to dominate the running game in this game between the hedges between Georgia and Georgia Tech is going to be the victor because that's what Georgia Tech has done all season. And what everyone on the University of Georgia sideline is going to look for, they're going to look to see if Nick Chubb and Tony Michelle can get the ball going early. We really need, as Bulldog country, we, we really need to see some effectiveness from the running game. And the best way to get that started is to have to early. Because our main goal is to always keep that Georgia Tech offense off of the field. It's a very different offense, a very intricate offense with a lot of different details. So we've got to do what we can to help our defense by giving them the amount of rest that they need and at the same time converting on third down. So the Bulldog Nation, in, 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 in short, Rich, we're really looking for uh, it all to come to fruition. The defense has played well. The offense has all the tools. We need to see a complete game from Kirby and his Bulldogs. Corey, I, I've always looked at, for teams that, that aren't competing for titles, either conference or national titles, I've always looked at this time of the year from now until the end of December is really the start of next season. How important is this next month for Georgia and Kirby Smart now that he's really kind of preparing for season two as the Bulldog head coach? Well, this is going to be key when you look at the fact that 2017 is right around the corner. These last few weeks are extremely important because not only are you giving young guys a lot of playing time, but you're really installing some things as far as your traditions and and the work ethic that you want to see going into next year. And you get a lot of great practice opportunities with these young players that you have as well. So there is a lot of player development going on right now, as well as a lot of player evaluation, because some of these young men might might be changing positions going into the spring. We might want to look at you at a different spot. We may want to pressure you under some different circumstances. That does start early here, late in this season, as we go into the offseason preparing for 2017. So really, you're exactly right. Bulldog Nation is under the same impression. we got to see what the young guys can do right now because as we go into the next season, Kirby will not have the same buffer that he's had in 2016. And, Corey, to piggyback that point, and when you talk about next season, how important is this victory today between the Hedges in Sanford Stadium for the recruiting of the state of Georgia against your arch rival? How much does that play into this game, even though the love-hate relationship? But talk to me about the recruiting aspect of what this rivalry represents. Well, recruiting is just a, a, one of the major parts of this whole picture, Joe. When you look at the fact that rivalry matchups are usually dictated by proximity, competition, and the fact that the fan bases are really familiar, the players are also extremely familiar with each other.
each other, and that comes uh, that comes really bearing fruit in, in recruiting. We really have to do a great job as Bulldogs to win this state. We've got a lot of talented young men that are going to be at the game, watching it closely. I can remember even in my time, Joe, taking a chance to visit the University of Georgia and watching them compete against the Jackets was a big game for me because you want to see your team beat up on the rival. I'm going to tell you one thing real quick, Joe. The difference between the SEC games and the Georgia Tech games, in the SEC, I want to see all my teams in my conference do well as long as they're not playing against me. With the Georgia Tech game, I need to see them lose every week. There is no love lost. So when you're recruiting against that kind of matchup, that kind of blood, that kind of hate, you really got to show it well on these Saturdays, and this is a prime example today between the hedges. Corey, do you have a finger on the pulse of uh, of Paul Johnson at this point? Mid-season, I thought, you know, it's time to turn the page. you got a new athletic director on the flats. He's gotten very stale, but now they've won four of the last five. Do you get a sense that he has built some job security going into next year? If there's one guy you cannot get a sense of, it's Paul Johnson. He's a tough guy to read because he's such a difficult man to deal with, and I think he does it on purpose. I think he's made it difficult for the administration to read him because he wants everything that he asked for, and I think he's been positioning himself to try to get more uh, – more things at the university that he can use to try to help that staff and that team as far as the facilities are concerned. When you answer the question about job security, going directly to it, I think he's done a good job. He had a signature win against Virginia Tech. I don't like the school, but i got to respect what he does with that offense. So he's the only one that can recruit to it. He's the only one that can speak to it. But he does a great job ruffling feathers, which might not bode well for him. But I'll, you know, to answer your question again, he has done a great job leading the team to some victories here late. And that might be enough to hold on to the job for at least another year. And uh, we'll be finding out what you can do on this Saturday because they're going to face a tough matchup with that defense that they're facing against the Bulldogs. Corey, you mentioned that the first team to 200 should win the ball game. I look at it in a, in a different aspect. I want to get your take. I feel that Georgia needs to start fast and put the pressure on Georgia Tech's second uh, offense to respond to match them score for score. I look for Jacob Eason to attack that secondary that's given up 242 yards per game. And I really think that Jacob Eason is the X factor here. They need to get him started fast and get into a rhythm so that they can sort of put the pressure on Georgia Tech's offense to match them. Do you see that playing out as well later today? The rhythm is going to be important, Joe. I mean, you definitely have to have rhythm on offense regardless of whether you're doing through the run or the pass. I think the most important thing for the Georgia offense is to convert on third down because the main reason I feel like Georgia's going to need to rush for those 200 yards is because their defense is going to have to be well-rested. They cannot afford to have a tired defense on the field in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter, because that's when that Georgia Tech offense will ramp it up a little bit. Paul Johnson makes great adjustments at halftime, so regardless of how we score the ball in the first half, I think the main thing is we need to dominate the time of possession, and that really shows fruit when you run the ball well. And we've got great running backs, so why not use them? But uh, Jacob Beeson is going to be key in the attack. He's got to convert on third down because if we can't stay on the field, it'll be a long day for the dogs. You know what excites me, Corey? You mentioned the defense. Most of those defenders should be back next year, right? I mean, this looks like a defense of sophomores, juniors. I don't know if anyone leaves early for the NFL, but I'm thinking that Kirby is probably laying a foundation for success, more success next season. I think you're exactly right. To be honest, I think that's actually the case on both sides of the ball. We've got 
a lot of freshmen and sophomores on defense, whether you look at the defensive line or the linebacker, especially in that front seven. We've got a lot of talented young kids that are going to definitely come back. And on the offensive side, we've got a lot of talented young juniors, especially when you look at the backfield. Uh, Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle, they've got decisions that they can make as far as do they want to stay and help continue to build the foundation that's going to be championship worthy. I think Kirby's done a great job getting young players on that defensive side. The offensive side, we still got some questions to answer, especially on the offensive line. But I think the, the offseason is going to do a great job in telling us what direction we're going to be going in. Corey, as always, great information. We'll have you on next week for the SEC championship game. We hope you enjoyed it today. Thanks a lot for having me, fellas, and go dogs. That was former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. When Rich and I come back, we'll be breaking down the big games in the Big Ten and the SEC. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on Fantasy Sports Radio Network, college football game day. When we left, we were talking about the Egg Bowl Ole Miss has won three of the last five by 14 points per game. But, Rich, I really love Nick Fitzgerald and the Bulldogs to strike the upset. I think it's way too much pressure on Shea Patterson and that Ole Miss team to respond, even though they're home and looking to become bowl eligible. Dan Mullen and the crew strike the upset on the road. You know, you touched on two things that matter to me in my decision when I broke down this game, Joe, which are the intangibles. Ole Miss is home. Ole Miss is one win away from bowl eligibility, and I know this team was number 11, number 12 in the preseason, so getting to 6-6 six and six is not that exciting. But Shea Patterson is the key for me. I, I think this coaching staff from U Freeze down has been diligent in practice all week because they know the value of getting 15 additional practices Four more quarters of live action for Shea Patterson. What happens today and what happens in December will have a direct impact on Ole Miss uh, in 2017. So this is a very important victory. Even though we didn't expect them to see them at 5-6, and 6-6 six. Six and six would be a big deal. I think they beat their rival in an otherwise frustrating season for the Rebels. I hear your point, Counselor, and I'm going the other way because no. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a legal eagle. <laughs> here's, here's the only thing I look at. I look at Ole Miss's defense. They're giving up 227 rushing yards on the ground. They're atrocious in run support. Nick Fitzgerald is a guy that if he gets rolling he's not Lamar Jackson we know that he's not uh, a, a mobile breakaway type of guy but he's a big physical guy where if he utilizes the read option the right way and has success early I think they can have great success on this defense and control the clock and keep Shea Patterson on the sidelines and that's why I like the Bulldogs because I think their running game will get going in this matchup and I think they get the outright victory today. I think it's high scoring. I, I 42-34 but I think Ole Miss goes down, does not become bowl eligible and then we have to mention Hugh Freeze to possibly be on the hot seat. A little early for that. I, I don't think he's going anywhere. Just very quickly, your point about Nick Fitzgerald, completely agree. Very excited to see what he'll bring to Starkville over the next two seasons. When Rich and I come back, we'll break down some other games in the ACC, SEC, and Pac-12. We're just getting started. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Rockin' Riley's Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. We're coming right back. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation radio.
Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Number three, Michigan. Number two, Ohio State. A little less than an hour away. Doesn't get better than this. The game doesn't get better than this. What better way to break this game down than with a former player that has played in this rivalry? He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. Want to welcome in former Michigan running back and Super Bowl champ with the New York Giants, Gerard Bunch. Gerard, how are you today? It's good, and it's, it's Jared. For years, Michigan always called me but it's Jared. <laughs> <laughs> Jared, how are you? We met the last time in New Jersey for the for the reunion in the in the 1986-1990 New York Giants. Me, Leonard Marshall, Mark Collins, we were hanging out. I called you Jared then. I didn't know it was Gerard. I, uh, uh, I called you Jared, Gerard then. I didn't know it was Jared. Yeah, no, nah, you know, for a while. I, I, it was four years. Bo Schimbecker started that. And I just never, you know, I never corrected anybody until after I got into the pros. And my wife, I met my wife, and uh, and she, I told her my name was Jared. And she had ran into somebody and said she met a uh, Jared Bunch. And that person told her that it was Gerard. And so we had this big discussion. <laughs> so you need to get that. Not a problem. Not a problem. When you look at the the game right here. I mean, talk to us about what it means to play in this rivalry as a Michigan Wolverine, and more importantly, what the national title implications have for the Wolverines and the Buckeyes. What's the landscape, in your opinion, for both of these teams? It's a huge game, important game, not just because of the rivalry this year, but uh, looking at it from a Michigan perspective. It's been a number of years where the game hasn't even been competitive for Ohio State. They've just come in and just dominated. And that has never been the situation throughout the number of years that has been the Michigan-Ohio State. There's never been where a decade where one team has been dominated every year, no matter what the records are. Uh, when I was there, we won four Big Ten championships, and we beat Ohio State four out of the five t- years that I was there. And the one time that we lost, was the time that Ohio State didn't even go to a bowl game. We were we won the, the Big Ten Championship, and we lost to them. It's that type of, of rivalry where it doesn't matter what the records are, but just in the last 10 years, there's been a, a something's happened where Ohio State has been dominant. And so that makes this game so much more important because how how Michigan have been, has been playing this year, what – Jim Harbaugh has brought back to this team not only last year and this year, but even you look at last year's game, Michigan Ohio State, Ohio State dominated them again. So with everyone seeing the way this year has gone and the way Ohio State has been playing and the way Michigan has been playing, this is a really big test. And I think that it's going to, in order for Michigan to win, they have to play their best game today. It's in Ohio State. It's a rivalry game, and it's not just a simple uh, as, as a rival game, but there are so many implications. The national championship uh, tournament, the Big Ten championship, it's for all the marbles, and it has come down to who's going to play best, the regular football, just like old-fashioned smash, smash mouth. There's not, no questions of what's going to happen. It's going to be won by the, the front, up front, and we're going to see what happens. That is what I'm looking for today, and you know, and that's what the rivalry has always been about. Who's going to be the toughest? Period. 
Jared, Rich Sermonello, uh, Wilton Spate is he's dressed, he's warming up. What are the expectations? What have you heard? What do you sense his role could be this afternoon? Well, I think that his role has already been uh, its so much importance put on his role because last week, from my perspective, what I saw, it looked like the quarterback play was uh, was, was bad. And I don't think if last week, if that was Ohio State, that Michigan would have gotten, they would have won that game. Spade has been that important to this team. Um, there's, uh, you know, we've had discussions. I've had discussions with former players and whatnot, and they think that it was just last week was with the play of, I, I can't even remember the guy's name, but it was because of a rust. It wasn't because that's the way a type of player that quarterback plays. It was because of rust. So um, this week, if Spade can play, that's a key in my eyes. But I've also been told that um, the quarterback play last week was, was not the way that quarterback can play, and it doesn't matter. If he plays today, he can, he's, he's a much better player than what he showed last week, only putting up like 59 yards of total yards passing. This week he'll be fine if he's called on to play. If he's not in space and play, obviously everybody feels a little bit more confident in, in the way that he can run the, the offense and go about playing the game. So whichever quarterback is in there, you know, we, we look like, I mean, people are feeling comfortable that we still have a, a really good shot of, of taking this, this game. Jared, if you can elaborate, in my opinion, the best player on the field today is number five, Jabril Peppers. His ability not only on the defensive side of the ball, but how they utilize him in the Wildcat and in multiple offensive looks, to me, will be the difference and the outcome. He'll have a deciding outcome uh, for the Wolverines in this ballgame. But talk to me about your feelings about Jabril Peppers and, and if at all Michigan will overutilize him in terms of the offensive perspective and game plan i think that uh jabril is a fantastic player a phenomenal player we've had discussion all year is, is he a heisman trophy candidate and uh in my estimation of course he is if the heisman goes to the best college player i think that jabril has always from from week one shown that he fits in that category offensively defensively special teams he's exciting in all three phases if it comes down to having to play him in that wildcat offense today. He's going to be a, uh, a person that, that Ohio State has to keep their eyes on all the time. And defensively, the question is, uh, is Ohio State going to run the ball at Jabril? I mean, he's, uh, he's not a big or a traditional linebacker, you know, a size. And some people think that that's the way that you can be successful against this defense is run at the best, well, the best, most active defensive player, and that's Jabril, run right at him. He's only 200, he's under 210 pounds. Special teams, they try to kick the ball away from him. They don't want it to be in his hands. If he, that, to me, okay, that make, means that a person is so exciting that he's on all three stages of the game, that he is a key component. He makes it a special situation on every aspect of the game, offensively, defensively, special teams. If we can use him, I'm sure that we're going to use him. Maybe they'll use him um, someplace for a decoy if he's on offense. Defensively, I'm sure they put in some, some, some plays that will cover for his lack of side 
that he p- brings up in his ability to be more active. So I think, um, all, and he himself has said that he knows that he, that this is the game and he's ready to play. It's, they have, Ohio State has a great coach, great coaching staff, great athletes. Michigan has a great co- head coach, great coaching staff, great athletes. And he has put it on himself to say, listen, it's man against man. He's ready to go. So I'm, I'm very interested in seeing how it plays out today. Jared, we want to keep you for next segment. Stay with us. When Rich and I come back, we'll be breaking down the rest of the games. Tennessee, Vanderbilt. We'll also break down Georgia and Georgia Tech. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Serenello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. Back on College Football Game Day, a couple of 12-30 games that we're going to touch on right now. It's an ACC battle. Syracuse on the road in Heinz Field to face Pat Narduzzi and the Pitt Panthers. Pitt coming off a dominating home win against Duke last week. Eric Dungy, Syracuse's quarterback, will not play in this ballgame. I don't think it matters. I still think Pittsburgh is clearly the better team. I think they make Syracuse one-dimensional. They're only giving up 99 rushing yards per game, Rich. I think this is a tough day for Syracuse, and Pittsburgh wins this ballgame by about 35 points uh, later today. Yeah, the orange under Dino Babers is running on fumes right now. You would expect that to happen, especially without Dungy playing. He's the catalyst for that offense. And, you know, Pittsburgh's been a curious team. I mean, they've, they've played so well against opponents, you know, like uh, Clemson, like Penn State. Look at those two victories, and yet they've struggled against lesser teams, played poorly against Miami in a blowout loss. But but Pat has them playing well right now. I expect them to finish strong, get to 8-4, and four, and prepare for that bowl game. They lost to Virginia Tech by 3. They also lost to Oklahoma State by 7 in the shootout. And that game got delayed for about an hour and a half due to bad weather. So that might have ruined some momentum that they had. And they lost to Pittsburgh. Uh, excuse me. They lost to North Carolina on the road in Chapel Hill by a point. So this team has been in each and every ball game for the most part. The only game that they really weren't in was in that blowout against Miami. Here's the thing about Pat Narduzzi. We spoke about it before on last week's show and the week prior. The way you beat Pittsburgh is over the top. They're allowing 334 passing yards per game. Syracuse is built that way, but they're still one-dimensional. They can't run for a lick. They're only rushing for 109 yards on the ground. So without Dungy, I don't think the Syracuse offense has a shot, only averaging 22 points per game. And I really expect the, uh, Pitt to dominate this matchup on the defensive front seven. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I think even if Dungy was there, it wouldn't have made a difference. Uh, give a lot of credit to Matt Canada. We talk about Pat, Mar- uh, Pat Narduzzi, but Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator from Pittsburgh, has done a phenomenal job this year. I mean, look at that Pitt offense. More production than any of us expected. So Pittsburgh rolling at the right time. Syracuse has one foot in the offseason. When we come back, we'll break down West Virginia, Iowa State. We'll also touch on Duke and Miami, along with Virginia and Virginia Tech. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Rockin' Riley's, coming right back.
You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, continuing our coverage of the game. Number three, Michigan. Number two, Ohio State. We're live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline with former Michigan running back Jared Bunch. Jared, when you talk about the the intensity and you talk about the spotlight of this rivalry throughout the years with guys like Earl, coaches like Earl Bruce and Bo Schembechler, and you see Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh now both both of these head coaches at the top of their game. Does it reminisce the early 80s, in your opinion? I mean, is the intensity back for both of these schools, the game, the rivalry, uh, when we look at this matchup later today? 100% correct, yes. It is. It brings you back, right back to uh, great coaches, great coaching staff, a distinctive coaching style and a distinctive way of playing football both of them the same way. Wherever they have gone, they have been successful on, on, at every um, institution that they've been to. They take they brought their style of football, and it's been successful. And, and, and a quiet tip: Did you know? Did you know that uh, Ohio State head coach is from my hometown, Ashtabula. He is from. And we we were. He was. Uh, he graduated when I was in the eighth grade, so we never played against each other. Wow. But we are the same hometown. <laughs> That's great. I don't About even that. say his name. I just say that Ohio State coach. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jared, uh, do, do the former players, your peers, people like yourself, do you start getting the, the, do the juices start to flow for you guys, even though the game is in the past now, this time of year when the game is upon us? It, it does. You know, what we do is we, we try to follow the, the games throughout the year. And um, if we, the one time or once or twice that we have a, like a reunion type of thing, um, we go back. To, I, I didn't get the chance to go back. But usually every Ohio State game, it's a home and we have something for uh, the foreign players to come back. And every Michigan State game, when it's a home game, we have something to come back to. Um, but besides that, we always, you know, we're always wanting our, our, our school to, to win and, and play well. Those of us who have been blessed to go on to play at a professional level, you know, we have teammates from the same, you know, from, from the same conference, and then we have teammates from rivalry schools in the conference. So uh, we, we, you know, it's like anything else. We, we, we're very proud of where we come from, and we try to make sure that we can uh, be supportive. Jaron, it's always a pleasure. I know you're heavily involved in, in film and in acting, and you have a long list and a long resume. What are you currently involved in in terms of your acting career? And we hope you enjoyed it today. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. Uh, I do have a, a TV show coming out that uh, I created for former players, so be looking for that. It's called After the Game. Um, it is about uh, retired players and who usually, like myself, retire early for injuries or whatever, whatever it may be. And, um, what they do afterwards, just like, like yourself, you, you can see me and, and movie doing movie stuff and producing movies, producing television stuff and doing commentating. So you can follow me at Jared Bunch on Twitter, uh, and find out at, uh, Jared 
Thanks for joining us today. That was great information from Jared Bunch, the former big play running back for the Michigan Wolverines. You heard his intensity, uh, Rich. I mean, that's what I love when we get the players on the show and they talk about these rivalry games. They talk about their love, hate for uh, Ohio State or Georgia Tech. I mean, that's what makes the college game so great because we don't see that consistency on the pro level. I'm sorry. There's rivalries each and every week in the NFL, and they don't they don't even come close to the rivalries that we see in college each and every Saturday. Every former player that we've interviewed this fall, there's a common theme, Joe. It runs through every ex-athlete, which is that intensity starts to percolate this time of year, this time of the week. It's Saturday. It's a big game upcoming. And these guys still feel it. And I think that's the special connection that exists between athletes and then their alma mater, fans and their alma maters. Uh, that's really one of the things that separates college football from anything that we have in the country. I couldn't agree more. Before we turn our attention to the other games, we might as well break this game down. I really feel that Jabril Peppers is the difference maker. I feel that Michigan's third down defense will be key here. I mean, Rich, 21% on third downs is no joke. That's one of the top statistical units in college football. They have 36 sacks, plus eight in turnover margin, only giving up 137 passing yards per game. That's going to be a very difficult spot for JT Barrett if they're in third down and long situations. And here's the thing. I really feel that you'll see Jabril Peppers touch the football on the offensive side at least 20 times today. I'm calling for the upset. Michigan 20, Ohio State 14 in the horseshoe. Yeah, I listen. I, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's an unwise pick. I mean, Michigan is, uh, as Jared mentioned, well coached, uh, stout on defense. I, I think a better defensive unit, uh, possibly from front to back, than Ohio State. For me, the difference is at quarterback. And I, I don't think JT Barrett's going to be prolific, but when you can have a junior, a veteran who's done that before, I don't know what we're going to get from Wilton Spade, even if he, he does get behind center. He's clearly not 100%, but something from JT Barrett will be the difference in this game. I think Ohio State wins close, and I actually think Curtis Samuel will be the better all-around versatile athlete than Jabril Peppers, only because I think Ohio State knows exactly what's coming. I I don't think you have a lot of deception. Once once Jabril Peppers is in the Wildcat formation, I think everyone everyone in, 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 in red is going to be running to that ball. I think everyone in scarlet is going to be heading towards number five. So I I think Ohio State just has more options on offense. I like the Buckeyes. And you mentioned those options. I mean, Ohio State's offense is very balanced. Rushing for 263 on the ground, passing for 230. And you look at JT Barrett. I mean, he has completed 63% of his passes, 24 touchdowns, only four interceptions, and has added eight rushing touchdowns to go along with a 772 rushing yards and Ohio State's defense rich no joke either they're holding opposing offenses to 28% on third downs and more importantly plus 14 in turnover margin and only giving up 159 yards in the back end so this could be either you know we say low scoring could be a 50 to 40 game probably that's (laughs) where every time we think it's going to be low scoring with two solid defenses somehow they never show up and you'll get a blowout but I don't see it in this game I, I think too much on the line as well Everybody will be disciplined. They'll stay at home as well. I think big plays will be at a very minimum in this ballgame. So if you get one early, could be a momentum changer. 
Which to me makes for great football. That's why I like a, a low-scoring defensive battle because every possession counts. If you're able to pop off a big play, it's truly meaningful. It's not like what we saw at Texas Tech Baylor where, you know, hey, we're down by 14. Atrocious. Matter, we'll still get the ball back. Yeah, I don't like that. I to me, I see that. that I see this game 20 to 16. I think it's a game that we grew up with and I think it's a game that will will really shine a light on both offense and defense. Every possession counts today in Columbus. Yeah, and I grew up with this game. You mentioned we had Greg Fry on. I grew up watching Greg Fry. I grew up watching Jared Bunch and watching yep. John Colasar rip that Ohio State secondary back in the day. I mean, Woody uh, and Bo. <laughs> right? Remember? I mean, that was those were the games. I, I 1987 though, we're early Bruce was when Carlos Snow ripped off the 75-yard screen pass uh, from Tom Tupa. So, I mean, you know, that was what I remember growing up. Uh, I think it actually was Greg Fry. i got to d- double-check. I know it was Carlos Snow, but uh, that was in 87 when they carried Earl Bruce off the field. I mean, that was a, a moment that I will never forget. So, th- this is what this rivalry represents to me as a college football fan growing up. One of the best rivalries in college football, and, and there are a number of them. I mean, how do you rate them? It all, it all, what's your personal level to mm-hmm. this rivalry? That's, we grew yep. up in the Northeast, so every, every Saturday we watched Ohio State and Michigan. Yep. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we still have to talk Georgia Tech, Georgia, USC, Notre Dame, and all the big Pac-12 games. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football is the best. We just love talking about it. Back on College Football Game Day, last two segments of the show. Rich and I will go rapid fire. A lot of games to get through. West Virginia, Iowa State, Rich. I'm calling for the upset. I'm not sold on Daniel Holgerson. I love the way the Cyclones are playing. Jacob Park, Jacob Park is hot. I'm going with the Cyclones in names for the mild upset uh, later today, 3.30. Is it a sign of the apocalypse, Joe, when both of us are calling for an upset on the same game? (laughs) Or or is it a reason to be excited? Because I love Iowa State. Forget the points. Keep the seven. I I don't even want them. I think Iowa State is is playing exceptionally well under Matt Campbell. I think West Virginia's regular season is over (laughs) after last week. At home, Cyclones win. Love this game. I, I like that, too. Here's another ACC battle. It's Duke in Miami. I suggest nobody play this game. Off the stats, I love Miami, but the one thing that's holding me back from loving this game is the way they won last year on the last second play with 11 laterals, five flags. Has mm-hmm. Duke had this game circled? I don't care how bad Duke is and coming off a blowout loss to Pittsburgh. Have they had this game circled since last year? I don't think so. I really don't. This is there's been a lot of turnover on that roster. I think they have forgotten about last year's game. They're four and seven. Regular season ends today. Miami has used so many young players who are now, yeah, they're still true freshmen or redshirt freshmen, but they're really sophomores and they're starting to play like it. So I think Miami wins big at home over Duke. Last three games, Miami's rush defense has only allowed 110 yards on the ground. They've only allowed 18 points per game on the flip side, Duke's allowed 35 points per game, 242 passing yards per game, and 179 yards on the ground. So keep that in mind as you break that game down. Big Virginia rivalry. Virginia on the road in Blacksburg to face Va Tech. 
Vatek needs to win. Well, they're in the they're in the ACC championship game, but still, I think they want to win this ball game. But I like Bronco Mendenhall with the big points here on the road in Blacksburg to keep this game close. Vatek wins, but Virginia covers the number. Yeah, I'd be a little worried about Hokies' motivation right now. They're looking ahead to Clemson last week. You mentioned that they've already wrapped up the Coastal Division because Carolina lost. So I think Virginia covers Tech wins. Yeah, we'll have to see how that game plays out. That's a 3.30 start. When we come back, we'll talk Kentucky and Louisville. We'll talk UCLA and California. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, last segment of the show. We're going to jump right into it. Rapid fire. Rich, I really like Georgia over Georgia Tech today. They've won four of the last five by 14 points per game. I don't think it matters. Georgia Tech's ability to run the football. Jacob Eason attacks that secondary. I love the way the defensive front seven is playing. I think Georgia wins this game 17 to 20 points. They dominate, start fast, and roll away with it at the end of the day. I like Georgia as well. I like the way they've played in November. Corey Allen mentioned earlier uh, in the show how the defense is beginning to grow up, and and that's a good sign. Kirby Smart has young kids on defense getting better as the season progresses, and and they've dominated Georgia Tech. The the Yellow Jackets don't compete, in my opinion, in this game. I agree with you. I think the speed of Georgia as well on the outside with uh, Godwin and Isaiah McKenzie could be the difference as well. Let's look at this battle, USC and Notre Dame. Notre Dame's won three of the last five by seven points per game. One last year, 41 to 31. There's rain in the forecast. Does that affect USC or, more importantly, Notre Dame with their ability to stretch USC's defense vertically? I like Kaiser here, though. I still think his ability, 10 touchdowns, only one interception, Rich. Over the last five games, he hasn't turned the ball over. I think his arm will keep them in this ballgame. But in the end, USC wins a 30-23 to game in the Coliseum. Yeah, I disagree. I, I, I would I would lay the points in this game. I, I think it's up around, it's north of two touchdowns, maybe 17 points. But USC is playing exceptionally well. Not sure if Notre Dame is that motivated by this trip out to the West Coast. And in terms of USC, we've talked a lot about Sam Darnold, but it really has been the defense. Clancy Pendergast has done a phenomenal job simplifying that defense, allowing those athletes to make plays. Notre Dame has been one-dimensional. I don't know what the weather will benefit. It could actually benefit the uh, the Notre Dame passing game if those uh, you know if those defensive backs are slipping around. USC is playing too well, Joe. I have it forty-one to twenty-one Trojans. Okay, we'll see how that game. That's a three-thirty start later today. Night game. Upset special. I love the Gators over the Seminoles later today. Florida State four has won four of the last five by 18 points per game. But you never know what you're going to get out of the consistency of Florida State. And their offensive line, Rich, has allowed 34 sacks already through 11 games. Going up against that Gators defensive front seven. Think it's a long day and they find enough offense to win this ball game outright over Florida in Tallahassee. I like Florida State. I'll tell you why. Uh, Florida State, obviously, home, have done well in this uh, in this uh, rivalry. But this is my concern with Florida, Joe. In, in the rearview mirror, you have the emotional goal line stand. 
to beat LSU last week and wrap up the SEC, SEC East. Now you're looking ahead to next week, and you've got the SEC title game against Alabama. I know it's a rivalry game, but Florida only has so much emotion, and I think they're going to expend that getting ready for Alabama. I think they lose to Florida State. Looks like Jimbo Fisher now is going to stick around, right? LSU is yeah. going to hire Ed Orgeron. So I think there's I think there's going to be a real happy locker room there. Florida State wins by a touchdown. Now, they won this matchup 27-2 to last year. Sean McGuire had a big day in the swamp. Does it continue with DeAndre Francois? Uh, A little bit later today, it's an 8 o'clock start. Keep an eye out for that. Rich likes Florida State. I like Florida. The big one, and I can't believe we're saying it, the big one in the Pac-12, Utah Mm. and Colorado. I'm sticking with the Buffs here. I think their physicality on the offense and defensive lines impresses me. And I look at Utah overall. I think Colorado has the better quarterback in Lufau, and they put pressure on Troy Williams to respond score for score. I think Colorado wins 17-point game, but it's close early. But in the end, the Buffs win a 17-point game in Folsom Field later tonight. Joe, I love what Mike McIntyre has done. At this point, he's my national coach of the year for 2016. But listen to this logic. Okay, Colorado has never been here before. Uh, They're the better team. They're better than Utah right now. But this is an opportunity to wrap up the Pac-12 South. I think there's going to be some jitters. I think there's going to be some nervousness. Utah is a veteran team led by a veteran coach and Kyle Whittingham, also physical, so they can match the physicality of the Buffs. I think this is a close game. I give the edge to Colorado because they're playing better. Lufau is better than Troy Williams, but I think this is a close game. And if you can get 10 points in this game with Utah, I think that's one of the best picks of the day. Really? Wow. We'll see how yes, that plays out. I I, I, well, I'm, I'm really curious to see how the, the tempo of the game uh, works out because Colorado has shown an ability now to take over games, especially late in games. Now, when I watch this matchup overall, I mean, their defense, I've been very impressed with their defensive front seven. Mm-hmm. They're only allowing 18 points per game and very solid in run support, only giving up 131 yards on the ground. So to me, that's going to be the matchup. Could they shut down Utah's rushing attack and put the pressure on Troy Williams, especially in third down situations, because that'll be key. And if that's why I think if Colorado jumps up early, that defense might take over and Utah and Troy Williams could be in for a long day. And the architect of that defense at Colorado is Jim Levitt, who you and I remember from his days at South Florida, had some off-field issues, got back into coaching, has done a terrific job with that Colorado defense. So good, in fact, that I wouldn't be shocked in the next couple of weeks if Jim Levitt gets a head coaching opportunity, even if it's a small school, even if it's something like UTEP. I could see this guy getting an opportunity to get back uh, on the sidelines as a head coach. That's Great information. I used to love Jim Levitt and what he did in building that program out South Florida with a quarterback by the name of B.J. Daniels and Mac Rothy. For Rich Sermonello, this is Joe Lisi. Stay with us each and every Saturday right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, 10 to 12 p.m. If you didn't get the game you wanted, tweet us at Rich Sermonello at Go for the two. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games, everyone. College football is the best. We just love talking about it. Back on College Football Game Day, 
We'll talk about one other game in the Pac-12. It's the Civil War between Oregon and Oregon State. I can't be sold on Oregon in back-to-back weeks, even though it is a rivalry game, Rich. I'll take the three-and-a-half with Oregon State and look for the upset. I think Helfrich is on the hot seat, and I'm still not sold on the way their defense can shut down the run. I like the Beavers in the mild upset later tonight. Yeah, that would be a big day for Ryan Nall. I think he's the name that uh, you could look out for. I wouldn't be shocked if he goes for 200-plus on the ground. And I I think Oregon State's just going to be more motivated for a rare opportunity to beat the Ducks. Yeah, another game that we didn't talk about and we we didn't have time, South Carolina and Clemson, Rich. I like South Carolina here to keep this game close. I, I think Clemson clearly is the better team, but I do feel that South Carolina and Will Muschamp keep this game very close. I think Clemson wins about a 17-point game later tonight in Death Valley. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm on the same page. Clemson, obviously the superior team, but Will Muschamp has the Gamecocks playing well. South Carolina will not score much offensively, but look for a defensive touchdown to keep this game close. I also see it in the 17 to 20 range. I say take the points. Clemson looking ahead to the ACC championship game. Here's one that I just think Louisville blows out Kentucky today. I think Lamar Jackson says, okay, we lost 36 to 10. I have my eyes set on the highs now you want to see what I can do I'm going to show you I think Louisville wins this I think they put a 60 spot up on Kentucky today and dominate this game Uh, I know Mark Stoops uh, he's on the hot seat their defense is playing a little bit better I don't think it matters Cardinals dominate today at home I think you did a great job of summarizing. I completely agree. I think this is about Lamar Jackson's Heisman run. Kentucky has bowl eligibility at 6-5, and five, so although this game obviously matters against a rival, they're in the postseason. That's what they were shooting for. I see a blowout. I, I think Lamar could be back around that 6 or 7 total touchdown range today. Two games. We'll just go rapid fire. I'm saying upset Cal over UCLA. I'll take UCLA, big game for Jim Mora. And I like Tennessee over Vanderbilt because of the mobility of Dobbs. Yeah, I like Vanderbilt. Huge game for Derek Mason. I think that defense comes through to allow the doors to be bowl eligible. Stay with us each and every Saturday right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern time. For Rich Sermonello, this is Joe Lisi. Enjoy the games. Have a great weekend.